Hello, and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I am Carol Iscaros. On the last program, we began a Lanyap edition on healing from relationship hurts. And that was really part one, looking at the story of Jacob and Esau and trying to glean some lessons on how we might be able to grow and learn from hurts we receive in relationships. No matter what the relationship is, um, whether it's a breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or hurt in family relationships, working relationships, even church relationships, um, hurt will happen. And there were so many lessons that we learned last time. And to quickly recap in the event that you missed the last episode or you just need a review, we talked about expecting that hurts are going to happen. Every relationship is involving two flawed people, so hurts will occur. So expecting that they're going to occur is hopefully designed to give us courage to face those hurts when they do come. It's not to demoralize us. It's not so that we build up walls and avoid love and avoid relationships, but preparing us so that we arm ourselves with the word of God, are prayed up and prepared and have the courage to face those hurts when they come. We also said in the last message that we should leave all vengeance, all teaching of lessons, all handling of any of that sort of thing to God. It's not up to us to teach people hard lessons or to seek out revenge. And remember, God was faithful to teach Jacob some hard lessons. In fact, he taught them at the hand of his future father-in-law, Laban, right? So Jacob deceived his brother and his father, and he ended up being deceived by his own father-in-law. So he learned some hard lessons, and God is faithful. His word says that we will reap what we sow, You don't have to feel like you have to take matters into your own hands when you've been hurt to teach people a lesson to make them to do paybacks and all that sort of thing. So we talked about that last time. And we also talked quite a bit about time. Giving yourself a moment to grieve when you've been hurt, taking a moment not to act in anger, to be slow to speak and slow to anger, quick to listen and to not be reactive. And really, we summed it up with the notion that as believers, we really have two options when we've been seriously hurt in a situation. Our options are to overlook the matter because it's a person's glory to do that, Proverbs says, right? We talked about that. And the other option open to us is to go to the person between you and them alone, Matthew 18 says. And that's really another option that's available to us. But the whole idea of blowing your top and taking it out on the other person and and gossiping about them and taking to social media with passive aggressive posts and and, uh, building coalitions against people, none of those things are options available to the believer. All right. Your choices are overlook the matter, forgiving it fully, moving on, or going to the person and dealing with the issue with them directly. So that's a quick recap of the lessons from last time. But now I want to approach a third key event from the life of Jacob and Esau and their saga and see what we can glean on healing from relationship hurts. 
That third main event is really a showdown that occurs between Jacob and Esau years later when Jacob needs to leave Laban's house and he's basically moving out 23 years after he's lived there. And news comes in, your brother Esau is pursuing you, Jacob. He's on your heels. So in Genesis 32, verses 3 through 8, we read this. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks male and female servants, and I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Pause there for a second. I hope that you're noticing a different tone in Jacob's voice towards his brother. Do you remember when he was demanding that he give up his birthright for that bowl of soup? And he's like, swear it now, swear it now that you'll give it to me, swear it now. And he was demanding and he was sort of cocky But now, after he's been dealt with the way he's been dealt with at Laban's house and he's been humbled the way he's been humbled, Jacob is talking to his brother Esau very differently now, even though he has oxen and donkeys and God has blessed Jacob with all of this stuff. He's calling Esau my Lord multiple times, and he's saying that I may find favor in your sight. There's this humility about him. And then in verse 6, it says, Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. That's the statement that comes back. Then verse 7, check this out. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. You can so tell that Jacob's like, oh no, my brother's going to come and fulfill his promise to kill me. That's it. I'm done for. I'm finished. So he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. So He's seriously freaking out here and he develops a strategy, okay? He says, I'm going to divide the two companies because at least then one half of us has a chance of surviving. But then we read on, still in Genesis 32, but we're now in verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, notice, he is praying. Listen. The Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children." For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants a sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. So stop there. That's verse 12. Jacob is praying in his great distress, facing his enemy, fundamentally his brother, because he understands that he is about to face what he has done. Esau would be really within his rights to do to his brother what he swore. And this is what I feel like is a primary lesson on healing from any form of relationship hurt, whether you're the perpetrator in some respects as Jacob was, 
or you're the one that's been hurt. Seek the Lord. Please hear me on that. One of the greatest things you can do, especially in that grieving period I talked to you about last time on the program, one of the greatest things you can do when you have been hurt, a breakup, a divorce, a church division, a misunderstanding in a friendship, a friendship that's been dissolved, you name it, run to the Lord. I cannot tell you, if you saw my Bible, if I showed you the pages of my Bible in the Psalms and the dates and the tear-stained pages of how many times I have run to the Lord, especially in the book of Psalms, and how he has ministered to me in those words and on those pages. And look, I've explained on the program before that there have been some family arguments and disagreements. Doesn't every family have arguments and disagreements? Can I please get a witness? I cannot imagine there's a single one of you listening that does not have family drama. Please, can I get a witness on family drama? And there was simply one day that I dragged my body into church and I had just had it. I was disagreeing with my husband and I was disagreeing with one of our children and it was just such a dark, dark day. And the last thing I wanted to do was to go to church on a Sunday morning. It was the very last place I wanted to be. You know, it was one of those things where my body's here, but my heart isn't and I'm kicking and screaming the whole way in. And I cannot tell you how much God spoke to me in my seat, even before the first worship song was played, even before a word was preached, even before a greeting was given, how much he ministered to my soul in that seat. Because God was speaking to me about me seeking him in the midst of my hurt. See, what God showed me in that moment was my tendency to want the comfort and the presence and the ministry of other people first and foremost. I want my husband to make me feel better. I want my kids to make me feel better. I want my friends to make me feel better. I want the ministry to come from those all around me. And sometimes I can seek that first and foremost and primarily and instead of seeking the things of God. And God was saying, I'm right here. And the comfort I give is totally different than the temporary fleeting comfort you might get from those around you. What I'm trying to say is Jacob is praying earnestly from his heart. He's praying God's promises back to him. He's telling God the truth. I'm scared. He's saying I'm scared. That's a great place to start, y'all. Confess that you're hurt. This person has hurt me. Or you know what? I blew it and I hurt someone really badly. When you are the perpetrator, confess your sin to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confess it. Are you the one that has hurt someone? If you are hurt, talk to God about him. Seek him in his word. Seek him in prayer. Turn on the worship music. Get yourself into that church building. Get yourself among God's people and in that small group Bible study. Even if doing those things is the last thing your body wants to do, even if your mind is screaming against it, when you are hurt, even if a confrontation is coming, listen, when someone says, we got to talk, 
You ever hate that? When someone's like, we got to talk. Oh, does that make your stomach hurt sometimes? It's like, oh, no. All I have to say is before you talk to anybody, seek the Lord. Seek him long and hard and ask him for wisdom on what to say and how to say it and when to say it. When you have been hurt, seek the Lord. And listen, there are some specific things I want to recommend that you ask the Lord when you're seeking him in this period. For example, pray that God would search your wounded heart if you've been hurt. Were you hurt because a specific sin in your life was exposed and you didn't like it? And you really need to just confess that sin and move on? Were you overly sensitive to something that was said and maybe you should have been so sensitive? Were you tired or just not in a great headspace? Was the thing that hurt you a a one-time offense from that friend or is it a pattern of behavior? In other words, Search the situation out as you seek the Lord. Ask him to search your heart as you pray. When you're praying, ask God for the grace to meditate on whatever things are true and noble and of good report, according to Philippians 4.8. So instead of repeating negative things like, well, they're just out to get me and they always do this and they never do that. We could do that, right? We could do the always and the never game. How about we meditate on Philippians 4, 8 nature things in our prayer closet as we're meditating, as we're thinking about the situation and asking God for wisdom on it. When you pray, ask God for discernment. Ask him, is there an opportunity here for me to overlook this offense? Is there a grace here for me to just let this thing go like it never happened? And if he says, no, this has to be addressed, pray for honest and gracious communication. Ask that you would be able to speak with humility and love and honesty. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And pray that you would be able to live peaceably with all men in as much as it depends on you. That's in Romans 12, 18. As much as it depends on you, ask that you can have peaceful coexistence with these people and in these situations. But listen, continuing with Jacob, after he prays these words, Jacob plans to send a massive gift to his brother, basically to appease him. Okay. He sends like droves of herds to his brother. And his plan is to space out all of these gifts really for dramatic effect. And then he's going to divide them out into these groups, send them ahead. And he does that. He sends those gifts. But that night, as he's praying, God answers Jacob by meeting up with him. And that's when they have this epic scene of Jacob and the angel of the Lord wrestling. You remember this passage where they wrestle? And that's when Jacob goes from this deceiver, this trickster to Israel, one who wrestled with God and basically lived to tell the tale. Jacob has an encounter with God as a result of this conflict that he's having and this fear he is about to face with his brother. He comes away forever changed. I want you to think about that for a minute. God answers Jacob's prayer in part by 
meeting him and they wrestle. And Jacob wants to have the blessing of the Lord. He won't let him go until this blessing is is achieved. And his name is changed, which means he is forever different as a result. Jacob is a different person. And I want us to come away from our prayer closets, having sought the Lord, having sought his blessing, having sought wisdom, changed people. When you are facing difficulties like this, we should not come out of these situations exactly the same. What's the point? If you never learn anything, what is the point? If you go from one messy relationship to another to another, and it's just you have this wake behind you of just broken friendships, broken relationships, church divisions, you hop from one church to another to another, and everywhere you go, people are like, you better watch out for those people. They're never happy. Anywhere they go, there's always problems. No, no. Let there be change and growth in us. Let there be change. And look, he had a plan. Jacob had a plan of action in how to deal with his brother. He had this plan to send all these herds and he divided up his company. He had a plan. And my counsel to you in dealing with situations of this difficulty, especially when it involves relationship, hurt and conflict like Jacob and Esau has, is to have a plan. Don't go in running your mouth And don't think that avoiding the situation and acting like nothing happened and just boxing it up and locking it away is a plan because it isn't. All of those things will amount to something terrible eventually. Not dealing with them will catch up to you eventually. A plan of action on how to deal with it. Here are some suggestions. As I said earlier, do not act or speak rashly wait until cooler heads will prevail. That is number one. Be prayed up, wait, and act when you can act calmly. Second thing I would recommend is that you speak and act based on the person and the situation. See, Jacob is dealing with Esau based on his history with Esau. He knew what he did. He was trying to make it right. He stole from Esau. He stole his birthright. He stole his blessing and he was making restoration. Jacob was not trying to justify himself. Deal with the situation and the person at hand. And make sure that you're dealing with your situation and not something you're borrowing from someone else. I cannot tell you how many young people come to me and are like, well, they did this to this person and they did that to that person and they did that to this other person. No, when you are dealing with conflict and hurts, make sure they're your hurts. Don't borrow somebody else's trouble. Is this an issue you are having with so-and-so? Speak and act based on your situation with that person. The third thing is be specific in your confrontation and in your dealing with the person. Don't beat around the bush. Don't avoid. If you are going to have a one-on-one discussion, Matthew 18 style, make sure it counts by being specific. 
when this happened, this is how I felt and give specific examples. If you can't remember them, but you can remember specific times, instances of dates, do your best. But just say, when this was going on, this is how I felt. Make sure your communication isn't, you do this, you do that, but be specific about how things have made you feel in those situations. The fourth recommendation here about having a plan of action on how to talk to people is be truthful. Be honest. Tell the truth about what hurt you and why. Not just being specific, but be honest. If you end up not telling the truth, you have missed the point altogether. And the fifth thing, and perhaps the most important thing, is Be loving in how you convey. Look at Jacob talking to him in terms of my Lord and your servant. He's he's being so humble and so loving. You're speaking the truth in love. Look, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus's word says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. See, the point is you are trying, the purpose of all of these confrontations isn't confrontation for confrontation's sake. It's not to pick a fight. It's not so that you can like go to blows. What's the point? It's to gain your brother. In other words, dealing with it to gain, not to lose. And burying it and acting like it didn't happen is not a plan. Okay, that's not a plan. But look at how the saga concludes. Genesis 33 verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Guys, Esau forgave Jacob. Can you imagine it? All that happened, the birthright, the blessing, the threatening to kill him, the hating of him, and he forgave him. And with that forgiveness also came this restoration, this embracing and falling on his neck and kissing him and them weeping. It wasn't just, I forgive you, but we need to go our separate ways. There's this this genuine restoration of love and affection. But I want to give you guys an important point here. And I think forgiveness needs a whole series. It's not just a portion of one message. But forgiveness is a critical component of healing from relationship hurt. And there's a reason why I'm concluding this Lanyap edition on the point of forgiveness. Forgiveness is for you. First and foremost, forgiving people is for your healing before it's for anybody else. A definition written by psychologist Robert Enright and a psychiatrist, Richard Fitzgibbons. Now, I don't typically quote psychologists and psychiatrists on the program, but this definition was so incredibly thorough. Listen to this. Forgiveness is a choice. Listen to that. You choose to forgive. That's why I love this definition from the first four words. Forgiveness is a choice. To let go of 
anger towards someone who hurt you and to think, feel, or act with kindness toward that person. I like that definition because it's not just I'm letting go of anger, but I'm still sort of seething or slow burning somehow. It's rather I'm going to replace it with a kindness. I'm going to replace it with more of movement in the Jesus direction. These two authors clarify that forgiveness is not being weak. It takes strength and courage to forgive. It is also not forgetting, condoning, or putting up with being hurt. You can forgive while you still seek justice. How about that? And forgiveness is different than reconciling with someone. So forgiveness is a decision that you're making that can start the process of reconciliation, but it's not the same thing. You can forgive someone and never actually be reconciled. And you can also forgive without ever receiving an apology. You can forgive people that have actually long since died. Hear me on this. Forgiveness is a decision I feel like I have to make again and again and again. And some would say, well, maybe you haven't really forgiven. I genuinely believe I have forgiven something. And then another aspect of the thing I've forgiven comes up and I find that I have to forgive that aspect. And then some fallout of the thing comes up. And I feel like I have to forgive it again because that fallout brings up another aspect. And so I find that it's something that I frequently have to come back and do again and again. And look, I feel like this is also what Jesus meant in Matthew 6 when he's saying we have to forgive in order to be forgiven. I feel like forgiveness is required for those who have been forgiven. We're not given the luxury of holding on to our bitterness towards other people as believers. Believer, you have been forgiven, therefore you must forgive. That's how that goes. Believer, you have been forgiven, therefore you must forgive. It is that simple. It's just not easy. It's that simple. It's just not easy. And I am saying that from the depths of my soul as one who struggles with this. Listen, some actions I believe are just unforgivable. Okay? I want to say that. There are some actions that are just unforgivable. I believe that the sexual abuse of anybody, but let's say pedophilia, sexual abuse of children. I believe that action is utterly and completely unforgivable. That action's unforgivable. But can we say that then there is a moment in time where we can forgive an individual while the action itself remains unforgivable? In other words, we can agree to forgive people just as Christ forgave us, even if the act is just so... just hateful and unnervingly unacceptable. We know Christ's blood covers even that, covers that person as it covered us. And thank you, Jesus, 
There is no sin I have committed that someone else has committed that is not fully covered under the blood of Jesus should we receive it and impute it to ourselves. It's covered under the blood. But I want to explain why forgiveness is key to healing to close this out, okay? See, there are so many passages about forgiveness in the Bible. There are countless. But why is it that it's so important if we are to heal from hurt? And if I could sum it up, I could say it like this. Forgiveness sets you free from the past. When you aren't forgiving, you stay locked and chained to the past, to the hurt, to what was said, to what was done, to the event. You are always looking back. You're always in the rear view mirror. Forgiveness breaks the chains that lock you to the past. I believe that forgiveness opens the door to depth. Depth in the relationship where you experienced hurt, but depth in all of your relationships. If you're a forgiving person, you stand to go deeper in every single one of your relationships. If you're not a good forgiver, you're going to have a hard marriage. If you're not a good forgiver, you're going to have a hard time in your church. If you're not a good forgiver, you're going to have rough relationships in the workplace. That's just how it works. If you don't know how to forgive, you're going to have a hard time all over the place. And finally, forgiveness as part of the healing process makes you a conduit of grace in giving it to other people, but in the constant receiving of it. You're constantly receiving grace from God, so you're constantly flowing it out to other people. You continually are this conduit and you just see grace upon grace upon grace flowing through you. Isn't that the ultimate picture of healing from relationship hurt? Being a constant conduit of grace. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Rinse and Repeat. It's been such a joy journeying through these two episodes on healing from relationship hurt. Again, my name is Carol Escaros, and you can check out Rinse and Repeat podcasts anywhere podcasts are heard, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, through Anchor FM and my website, caroliscaros.com. That's carol, E-S-K-A-R-O-S.com. Also at my website, take a moment and tell me that you are listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can check out when I'll be in your area and so much more. And also, we are very excited to be celebrating 16,000 listens to the program since our launch last year at this time. What a complete privilege and a joy to be journeying through the Word of God together and to be learning so much as we are followers of Jesus on this journey. What a joy. So be sure to join us next time for our next episode of Rinse and Repeat.